Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rotary Report podcast in association with the Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav here once again, back after the Oxford draw at the weekend, and I'm joined by Phil West. How's Phil? Yeah, very well, Gav. Yourself? Good. Tired, good, but yeah, I am happy to talk about Sun once again. I mean, yeah. I'm not feeling as negative about what I saw at the weekend as a lot of people, especially a day or two out from the game. Yeah. Me and you have had a, a bit of crack about the game since full time. Let's get straight into it. The the performance itself, I don't know if you'd agree, but Sunderland were a lot better, particularly in the second half of the game, having scored early and then conceded a poor goal, to be fair. O- overall, though, we were probably the better team, a bit unlucky not to win. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of the performance, but how did you feel about how Sunderland played overall? I thought the first half was very, very patchy, and I think Lee Johnson touched on that in his post-match interview, actually, when um, I was listening to it. He said that it was, he described it as tricky. And, you know, I just felt that I haven't scored early, haven't got that goal and got everybody kind of really, you know, excited. Yeah. I just felt there was a really good chance there for us to really push on and really take the game to Oxford, but we just didn't seem to do so for some reason. We just seemed to kind of retreat into our shells a little bit. It all started to get a little bit fragmented. There was no real pattern to our play. There was a, we were either... We were either kind of indecisive in key moments, or we were being a bit too intricate and trying to overplay it at times. So, but why do you think that? Why do you think that is? By the way, why do you think we 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 sort of retreated into that sort of going from starting so well to to yeah. retreating? Why do you think that was? Because I, I can't put my finger on it. If I'm honest, we've done it quite a lot recently. I think part of it is confidence. I think you've got. I think, and you've really got to have that mentality. I think you, when you get one nil up in that situation, particularly at home, I think collectively as a team, you really have to go right. We've got them. We're a goal, we're a goal to the good here, lads. Let's really push on and be ruthless and let's not give them any chance to really get back into this game. So mm. I think coming off the kind of the, the, the you know the iffy run of results we've had in recent weeks, I still think the team is not quite at its best confidence-wise. I still think they are a little bit timid at times. And I think particularly at home, I think you know they're kind of they're wanting to make sure they don't let the supporters down. And I think that's leading to indecision and kind of you know, a lack of real knowledge as to what to do in key situations. So I think, you know, it's having that ruthlessness and having the, you know, having that ability to, as a team to go, right, we're 1-0 up, we're not letting them back into this game, we're going to really push on. And I think that comes from your senior players to a certain extent. I think the likes of Bailey Wright, for example, can play a part in that. But I also think it comes from your creative players as well, the players who, like Alex Pritchard, for example, who want to make things happen. So, yeah, I, I just felt the first half, we just... 
we kind of took our foot off the pedal and scored early. Yeah. But I agree yeah. with you. I think the second half was much better. There was much more positivity about us. It was as if a switch had been flicked to a certain extent and it was as if the players set themselves, right, look, we can beat them here. You know, they're offering very little. We play our game and they won't be able to live with us. So I thought the second half, there was a lot to be positive about. Okay, we didn't score. We were a bit unlucky with hitting the hitting the woodwork. But I felt that overall there were some positive signs in the second half. So it was a very topsy-turvy game in that respect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that one thing we can put our finger on and say it for definite was that the, the, they never gave up. The effort was there. The no. endeavour was there. Absolutely. Couldn't have really done much more other than hit the back of the net, really, to be fair. Yeah. I think the crosses were, were going into good areas. We we hit the post. We hit the bar. The stats themselves, we had 17 shots and only three were on target. I mean, that pretty much tells the story, doesn't it? We we just didn't, in the end, have enough quality in the final third to, to win the game and kill it off. Yeah, I mean, you've got to get the ball into the right areas. And, you know, you know there was you know there were times where we'd get the ball in good attacking positions, but then the final ball wasn't quite there or we took too long and they were able to close us down. So, again, it's just those split-second moments where speed of thought is so essential. And I was talking about... the I used the phrase football intelligence after the game on Twitter last night and I had a few people come back to me on that. And I just feel that decision-making at this level is so crucial. It's known when to play that pass, known when to put boot the ball and clear it, known when to take your man on, and so on and so forth. And I just think at times we can be caught lacking in that area a little bit. So that's something we I'd like to see us sharpen up on um, over the rest of the season. Yeah, the goal then, uh, Leon Diakou scored it. He didn't play the full game. He came off at, towards the middle of the second half, really. But, I mean, let's be fair to him, because he gets a lot of stick because he isn't the finished product. And I think that's one thing, isn't it? Like, people have to remember this is a kid, basically. I know he's come from Bayern Munich, so there's a lot of expectation. But he's still a kid who's never really played senior football before. The odd appearance for Bayern and off the bench and cup games and, and stuff aside. So he's come to Sunderland really to find his feet. New country, new culture, a harder working environment, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. when it comes to games. Because, you know, the intensity of whatever he was playing in Germany won't be anywhere near what it's like in League One. So he's come here, people were expecting sort of a, a top quality player and he's obviously came here, has got some skill, but he's obviously very raw. And that for some people he's not convincing them, but I actually think in the goals he scored, and in particular the one that he scored at the weekend, there are signs of a really decent forward there, somebody who's Absolutely. got goals in him. And his yeah. finish was was exquisite, I thought. I think the way he turned his man inside out to finish under the goalkeeper beautiful. was a beautiful goal, wasn't it? Absolutely. You know, to be perfectly honest with you, Gav, my feelings on Diaki are, I, I feel that he is roughly, in terms of his progression, where I would expect him to be at this point in his Sunderland career. Um, I think, as you said, there was a lot of expectation on him because he was something of a, it was seen as something of a coup when we signed him because obviously he came from Bayern Munich and they're thinking, great, you know, this is, this is a guy who's obviously got something about him. And I think so far he has shown flashes of his skill and his potential, but he's also had bad games as well. So I haven't been particularly concerned about Diaco's progress really because, you know, he's, he was always going to take some time to adjust, as you said, new club, new culture. It's a rough and tumble league. It, games are always fast and furious. You know, you might not necessarily get the time on the ball or the time and space to do what you want, as you might do overseas. And, you know, as you said, yeah, the goal he scored yesterday, was it was a lovely goal. I mean, you know, the confidence to take your man on, just nick the ball past him and then slot it past the keeper. That's a really, really good goal. Yeah. Um, 
My feelings on Diaco in terms of his best position is he's never a wing back in a million years, and that's simply because he doesn't have the defensive discipline to, no, to, to play no. in that in that position. And I think that if Lee Johnson can find a place for Diaco in our attacking department, he could really cause some problems for opposition defences this season because yeah. he's he's a player who when on form obviously likes to play with confidence. He's skillful on the ball. He's obviously got an eye for a goal as well. Um, and I think he could be key in bringing his teammates into the game as well. And I think if we're going to get Ross Stewart into games again, make him the kind of the fulcrum of the attack, someone like Diaku could provide him with really good service. So, yeah. yeah, I think he's definitely going to be a player that Lee Johnston's going to rely on going forward. And just another thing, Gav, I thought it was really good to see Johnson give him the vote of confidence by starting with him yesterday. Yeah. Because I know to a certain extent Johnson's a little bit snookered in terms of the fact he hasn't got a great many players to choose from. But to say to Diaku... You are my man. I'm starting you today. There's going to be a decent crowd in. Go out there and show them what you can do. That, to me, is really, really good man management. So I was pleased that Johnson showed that confidence in him, without a doubt. Yeah, and you touched on perhaps him playing further forward. And uh, Matt, at Rowley3333, has asked us, uh, should we start Diaku up top? Uh, he suggested maybe playing him with Broadhead, but uh, I, I, he, he has played centre-forward. I think he's, he's played like as a 10-second striker in Germany. Not for us. Yeah. Um, but like I say, he's a good finisher and he's a goal threat. Could you see him maybe being a, a forward option in going into the second half of the season? Possibly, yeah. I mean, if you know, if he, he could, because I think I think Broadhead and Stewart have kind of been shown they've been shown some good flashes together when when they dovetail together. So I think having a kind of a I like I've always liked the idea of having a kind of a big physical striker and then a pacey attacker playing off him. I think that's something that could really work for us. So on the other hand. I think Diaco was the kind of guy who went out wide if he's if he if in the right positions he could really stretch opposition defenses and I think he likes the, I think there's a, I think he's the kind of player who would really like to kind of get the ball wide drive it as man and then cut inside and maybe go for goal himself so I think there's a future for him definitely as an attacker quite where that position is I'm not 100% on that one yet but I definitely think that if we can harness what he's got going forward he could be a real weapon for us without a doubt yeah I'm I'm hoping that he can can really kick on from here because I know he's on loan, but there, there is an option to buy there. I know that, you know, like I said before, people, there are a lot of people who aren't convinced with Diaku, but I just think it's far too early to start to start casting judgment on a player like that just because yeah. of just because of the circumstance. Like I said, he's he's young for one, and I've already outlined all those reasons. He he deserves a little bit, bit more time, and I, I think definitely he's trying his hardest. You can see it. As well, you know, when it's not even when it's not coming off for him, he's, he's trying his best to to impress. I think, and we could do with just giving him a run of games in a in a position what suits him, and a little bit of patience because I think that's when a young player will flourish first and foremost. I think you're not you're not going to see the best from any player, never mind one who's got hardly any experience behind them if if you're not patient with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you said, I think his attitude's really good. I think he's really kind of immersed himself in the club. Um, I think he made that comment, I can't remember which away game it was, when he seemed to be blown away by how many fans we'd taken to that particular away game, and he was yeah. really kind of enthusiastic about it. So I think his attitude's great. I think he's got a real willingness to learn. But as you said, we just have to be patient with him, give him the time and the space, and he will come good. I've got no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, so as the half went on, we, we well, we, did, we didn't do enough, to be honest, no. in the first half to, to sort of strengthen our position in the game. We, we did what... We haven't. I don't think we've actually done much of this this season, up until recently. Um, but we we just sat off. We we let Oxford have the ball. We let them 
knock it long and they were winning all of the second balls, they were winning yep. all of the he- headers in the air. I thought Taylor up front for somebody who's not particularly big, really good at holding up the ball and bringing others into play. I mean, Oxford got a goal and it was gifted to them, to be honest, wasn't it? I think it was. Uh, we, we've had a we've had a question from PG at Russian P tape. He's asked, why do our defenders have a habit of overcomplicating things? Gooch got the blame for the goal, but he was played into trouble big time by Wright, who should have just knocked it out of play. I think there were a couple of things we could probably pick up with that particular goal. Definitely, definitely Gooch's part in it, because when he does receive the ball, he takes a second too long and an an extra touch and loses it and then goes down feigning an injury trying to win a free kick because he's lost the ball. But yeah, yeah the, the pass by right was putting them in danger, and yeah, I think I think there's a lot of pick apart there, isn't there? I think there is, yeah, and I think you know, I think that this is a this is, it, it's not a new thing. This I think we've seen this in quite a few games this season where we've played ourselves into trouble at the back, or we've dithered on the ball, and we've been caught in possession, and we've just we've ended up kind of really backing ourselves into a corner. I think it's I think you know as we touched on earlier on, I think there's a there's a there is a time and a place to to boot to you know to put boot to ball, put it in row Z put it down the channels, get yourself out and then regroup. There's also a time to pass the ball from defence into midfield, which is absolutely fine. I've got I've got I've never I'll never criticize a team for playing out from the back because I think when done properly, it works really, really well and it can be a real launch pad for the team. But yeah, Gooch, obviously Gooch was kind of the the, the fall guy for the goal yesterday. But again, it's decision making, Gav. You know, it's knowing at that particular moment what do I need to do to make sure that I am not putting my teammates in danger. And you know how many times have you and I and everybody else talked this season about Gucci's decision making, and you know he either plays the wrong pass at the wrong time, or he overplays it, or he, you know he, he, his final ball isn't there, and so on and so forth. And again, I I think that all comes from um, um, I think it's all a mentality issue. I think it's a mindset thing. Um, and you know I think that you know someone touched on this yesterday. I don't know whether it was you or somebody else that you know Thorben Hoffman yesterday. He 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 often looked when the ball was in his vicinity, he looked a bit edgy. I think and and. You know, I think that's to a certain extent. I think as a goalkeeper, you need to know that your defence is watertight in front of you, and they're not going to put you in danger as well. So, yeah, I think the the goal was a kind of a it was a result of a you know a collective kind of failing really from Wright and Gooch. Obviously, Gooch was the fall guy because he was the one who ended up on the deck, you know, looking for a foul that shouldn't have been given and wasn't given, um, and just a very soft goal to concede. And that was it was so frustrating to see. And you could see the Sunderland players kind of slumped on the deck and they were waving their arms as if to say, what the heck's happened here? Because it was a goal that you just shouldn't concede. It was, you know, if Oxford picked the ball up 25 yards out and they slam it into the top corner, you just have to go a wonder goal, fair play. And then, but to concede a goal that was so sloppy is so, so frustrating. And we've got to cut that out. We want to get promoted this season. We're going to have to eradicate those kind of errors. No, I, I totally agree. But... I feel like we're fighting a losing battle with that because it's sort of like, well, we're playing them out of position, aren't we? And we're playing yes. this one here and that one there and they're not suited to this and they're not suited to that. And yeah. that, that sort of a thing I've been I've been mulling on since full time is now that Jamadjali's back fit, we now have two left-footed central defenders and we have, well, four right-footed central defenders to pick from. I think although yeah. we are in the midst of a, of a defensive crisis when it comes to full-backs, we have enough players to cover those positions and I, and it, I've, it's got us wondering like what why are we so set on playing wingers as fullbacks i know that the role of a fullback has totally changed from the days when you could put Danny Collins there and he would win player of the season yes. it has it's totally changed but i i just think like Callum Doyle for instance is mobile he's good on the ball 
and he's left-footed, why aren't we playing him left-back? And then, and then on the other side of the park, we've got Oli Younger, we've got Fred Alves, hopefully back fit soon. I know he, he had a knock that kept him out of the game. But Alves, um, Bailey Wright, to be fair, second half when he went right back did okay. He, he, I'd definitely give him more credit for his ability on the ball than I would have prior to the game because I, I thought he did okay. And obviously everybody knows that Flanagan, before he came to Sunderland, played full-back for Burton. So we, we've we got players who can cover those positions and I'm, it's just this nagging thing at the back of my head that we're conceding too many stupid goals because of full-back mistakes. Yeah. And they aren't full-backs, they're wingers. They're, they're, and then what, what are wingers good at? They're good attacking. at attacking. You know, then and we we could just do with putting a couple. It might only be for one or two games. I I think with just with that Plymouth game on the horizon, it's got to be an option because they're a good team and we can't afford to to concede daft goals like we are. And it might just be a case of let's put a couple of centre half so we're actually all right on the ball at full back and see how we do. I think that as you said there, you know the days of you know what you might call the old meat and potatoes full back, i.e. just a wall on the flank who didn't really that much get past him and, you know, could pick a pass out. They're gone now. You've got to be, you know, the, the modern-day fullback has changed to kind of a more all-singing, all-dancing kind of player. Um, and, as, you know, as, as you rightly touched on, you know, we, we are, you know, we're playing players in, in in that position who I just don't think have the discipline and the positional awareness to really kind of keep the centre-halves protected properly. And I think that it's, you know, it, it's okay you know, saying that, well, you know, they, they offer a lot going forward, and they do. I think, you know, when Gooch gets going forward, for example, he can he can create, but you've got to be good going the other way as well, haven't you? And, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. I would, I would in order to shore the defence up a little bit, because Lee Johnson is going to have to juggle his resources quite smartly here, because we're getting into a really nitty-gritty part of the season. January's on the horizon, which is good, and I'm sure reinforcements in the defence will arrive. But I think for now, I think he's got to shore the whole thing up and just kind of He's basically got to solidify the whole defence. You know, I suppose on the other hand, the argument would be made, well, you know, you, you know, you're having to move another player out of his natural position, I suppose, to, to kind of fill in for that. But this is the reality, and this is, you know, this is what this is what we were talking about. You know, to have that kind of all-round game as a fullback. Sometimes maybe you've got to just move a player out of what might be his natural position. So yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. But I think we should imagine coming back into the into the equation as well. Um, and he seems to be on the right path. You know, he's, he's, I saw his interview after the game on Wednesday. He seemed to be quite upbeat about things. Having him available, I think, is going to offer us much-needed cover in that position. You know, the only and I know we mentioned this earlier on on Twitter. You know, that would he be ready to be thrown straight back into the rough and tumble of League One? But as you said, that's what they've been building them up for, haven't they? So, yeah, I think that I think that Lee Johnson's going to have to be smart in that particular area. And yeah, you're absolutely right. We are giving away goals that are just too soft and too slack. And it's not the hallmark of a promotion winning team. You know, we've got to tighten up in that area. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, so, yeah, the rest of the half crapped on. Um, we went into the break, one all. Johnson obviously saw something he didn't like. And I, I think what it probably was, I know you touched on it, Diaku's inability to be a, a proper wing back. Um, I don't think it was just that, though. I think it was the fact that Oxford had clearly targeted him as well. There were two and yeah, three players over on that left-hand side sometimes, and every time Oxford went forward, it came down that side because they were just overloading us. They'd, they'd obviously spotted that fairly early in the game and thought, let's get at them. So the decision was taken to to put Lyndon Gooch there from right-back to left-back, and I think he was much better second half. I know, he was. You know, the game itself was all about, oh, well, Gooch did this, Gooch did that, but I actually think if you isolate his second-half performance, he was okay. Bailey Wright went across to right-back, 
And like I say, I'd never thought that he was actually as good as that um, on the ball, but credit's got to be given to him, you know. I, I did a little bit of reading and digging, and I think he played quite a lot there for Bristol City towards the end as well. Ah, right, okay. So uh, uh, before he signed for Sunderland, just sort of that, that last few months of his Bristol City spell, he played quite a bit at right back in the championship, so it's not like he's a total rookie there. I just didn't expect him to, to be able to play there for whatever reason. I didn't think he had the ability on the ball or the composure to to get involved in attacks, but he did okay. I'm not saying he was, you know, Cafu by any stretch, but he, he definitely did his bit. And yeah, second half was 10 million times better than the, the, the first half. I don't think definitely. anybody in the stadium would disagree with that necessarily. We pushed and we, we tried our hardest to get goals. I mean, we, we had a couple of penalty appeals waved away where we hit the, we hit the bar. I think it was Ross Stewart hit the bar. Yeah. Nathan Broadhead hit the post. After the keeper saved it, I think. We we did everything but hit the back of the net, really. I mean, I think if you're gonna be Uber picky, like I said at the start, we didn't we weren't clinical enough in that final third, and that meant that the keeper wasn't tested enough. It's not like the, that it's not like Simon Eastwood was was made uh, forced into two or three really good saves. He wasn't really, you know. Mm. That that's the one thing I'm a little bit disappointed with. But I think the tempo was good. We played we played with a high press. Um, we didn't really allow Oxford much time to breathe. I thought they looked really tired, actually. Don't think they were that, knackered. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they were blown and understandable given that their squad's been a bit stretched recently and they've had a COVID outbreak in the squad. So that that's a little bit understandable. So I think the overall feeling after the second half, while Sunderland had played well from majority of the reaction I've seen and I've heard online and and on the radio and talking to people is that people feel a little bit deflated that we sort of lost the lead in the first half and then weren't able to make that pressure pay, which is fair enough, right? It's fair enough. I mean, you know, the second half performance, in my opinion, is how we should always strive to play at home. You know, yeah. um, positivity, energy, aggression, you know, a desire to really put the opposition on the back foot and really get at them. It was just such a shame that, you know, because let's be honest here, Oxford created... You know the square root of absolutely nothing in that second half, more or less. I mean, it was it was literally it, at times it was literally like an attack versus defense session, really. And I think sixty five minutes on the clock, as you touched on, they were absolutely shot. You know, there was nothing left in their legs. They looked absolutely out on their feet, really. That at home in in that particular situation is how I would always like to see us play. Um, and I thought Alex Pritchard, um, who I don't know we were going to touch on, but he was absolutely fantastic yesterday. I was yeah. I was watching him at part. I was kind of zeroing in on him at parts during the game, particularly in the second half. And you could tell that he was always thinking about how I can unlock the defence, how I really can get confident. my teammates in. He absolutely did. It was he was playing? He was playing with his head up all the time. He was looking to get on the ball. He was always looking to make things happen. His best game in a red and white shirt by far. And that, to me, felt like a real breakthrough for him because he's another player who hasn't really hit the heights that I, lot of, that I think a lot of people maybe hoped he would. If he can play like that for the rest of the season, we could have a really, really good player on our hands. Yeah, I think the timing's just worked out well for him. I think that first sort of... Well, the first spell of the season, when you think about it, let's break it down, right? So he comes to the club. Straight away, he doesn't take part in pre-season because he has COVID and he suffers from it yeah. quite badly. So he's out of the squad for the majority of pre-season. So he's already playing catch-up, by which point Embleton's established himself and Dan Neal has established himself in that midfield. Um, the other positions he's probably competing is out on the left, where McGeady is a guaranteed starter. So very slowly, he's having to wait for his turn. He's getting in the cup games, but then the cup games only happen, what, every two, three, four weeks, so he's not getting a consistent run of games. And then when you think about from that sort of point to now, McGeady's went out with a long-term injury, so 
there is a role in the team for that sort of player who can make things happen, who you can afford to carry because they have the quality from set pieces and 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 from range to score goals like he has done in the last few weeks. Yes. Um, and on top of that, Embleton's went back out of the team and Embleton was the one player really keeping him out of the side, I think, at the start of the season. So there's been, a, a I suppose, a, a shift in reliance on quality to come from the likes of McGeady to now Pritchard stepping in is the is the big name, the big sign and the man who's played up the leagues and, and he's playing now in the third tier for Sunderland, but somebody who's got a lot of experience playing at a higher level and playing well at a higher level. It's just a bit of a perfect storm, I would say. I think it's all come together at the right time for him. And he needed to wait for his window of opportunity, didn't he? Yeah. As you just said, you know, you come there and you you know, like you said, he misses preseason, so already he's behind the eight ball. Then he's got to watch as his teammates get off to a good start of the season. Individuals really staking a claim. And that, you know, you're always kind of swimming against the tide in that respect. And like I said, you've got to wait for that window of opportunity. And I think that opportunity has come around from now. Um, and I've seen a few people saying that, you know, is, is he a bit too lightweight for this league? Is he a bit too easy to get off the ball? I don't think he is. I think if you, I think if we can show the midfield up in, in January with a bit more clout and a bit more heft in that midfield... Someone like Pritchard, who is quite slight physically, he's not, you know, he's not an absolute beast of a playmaker. He's a quite a slight physical, you know, physically slight man. I think he could be the guy who could really kind of unlock things. And I think it's good that we've got kind of, you know, some good playmakers at our disposal. Because when Embleton came on yesterday, he showed some good flashes of promise as well. I thought he looked quite hungry to get on the ball and make things happen as well. So I think individually yesterday there were signs that certain players are starting to get back to where we'd like them to be in terms of form. Um, and I thought Winchester, Carl Winchester, was another one yesterday who raised his game and looked yeah, quite good. Yeah, so yeah. It's it, there are signs there that individually players are starting to kind of recapture that form that we saw from them at the start of the season. So that that's something to be positive about, without a doubt. Yeah, and I think that sometimes comes during an injury crisis, doesn't it? Where you've got like, wait, well, I've got yes, I've got two centre mids, so them two have got a player there, and then I've got two centre halves, and it's like when you when your resources are slim. One, you become more reliant on the players you do have, but yeah. two, it gives them. Uh, I guess it's a it's a weight off the shoulders when, say, you call Winchester and you've played right back all season, like you know for a fact that for the next five games or whatever, that you are definitely starting in centre mid, so yeah. he hasn't got to worry about losing his place in the team. He hasn't got to worry about making a mistake and thinking, oh shit, I'm I'm out the team now, you know. He he has. He has that weight off his shoulders, for instance. So he, he, he can express himself a little bit more. He can play with a bit more freedom. Um, and I think to be fair to Winchester, he's changed his game up again a little bit because it's quite clear to me that he's been asked to break the play up because Dan Neal isn't that player. He does try, but he's not that type of player. He's very much a playmaker. No. So Winchester, with with no O'Neill and no Evans, has been told we need you to get stuck in, and. I think he's really brought some quality to that position and proven why he's good enough to be at a club like Sunderland because a lot of us, myself included, looked at the signing in January last year, or sorry, January this year, and um, and weren't really sure about him because we didn't know who he was. He was coming from the league below. He was a little bit older, so we were sort of looking at it and thinking, well, is he good enough for League One? But he quite clearly is. And yeah. I think it's just been a bit unfortunate for him that he hasn't been given a proper run of games in the middle of the park. So, again, like I've just said with Pritchard, it's his time to shine now, isn't it? It's his time to sort of nail that place down and show why he's here and and ultimately um, offer the team something that a lot of players can't, which is 
that bite in midfield, but also he's got such good ability playing forward passes and quick passes, and he this and he can turn yeah. he can turn off both feet and pass with both feet. I think he's a he's a lot better player than than people would ever care to give him credit for. I think. He's got great technical quality, and I think as you know, as you rightly touched on there, I think Pritchard is the kind of guy who, you know, if Lee Johnson goes to him in training and says, "Look, you are going to be my man, you are going to be my main playmaker," I think Pritchard's the kind of guy who thinks you've given me your vote of confidence. I'm going to get in there now, and I'm going to prove that you were right to do so. I think he's the kind of guy who would thrive on the backing of his manager, and the, you know, given license to just go out there and play his natural game. But I think you're absolutely right. His technical quality, and it, and, it, and it was it was evident yesterday what he's got in tight areas as well yesterday this is another thing I noticed it he was often picking the ball up in kind of crowded crowded areas and he was turning he was just making things happen he was getting himself out of trouble he was finding that pass out so yeah I think he could as, as you said I think the, the, the phrase time to shine is absolutely appropriate for someone like Pritchard at this moment that was without a doubt yeah yeah the performance overall we've already talked about the result though um that's been a big source of debate because well, we we didn't win. People were sort of expecting us to to win this game for some reason, even though Oxford are quite good and they've just held down a, a nil nil draw with probably the best team in the league in Rotherham. How are you taking the result? Because it seems to me like a lot of people aren't taking it well. I, I'm pretty content with it, but I'm only content because we've got Morecambe next and we've got Plymouth next, and they're both at home. And I think when I when I saw those with the next three games. I think this was always going to be the hardest of the three. I mean, I might be proven to be wrong. Plymouth might come out and be brilliant. I just think the way that Plymouth have, have sort of nosedive shows that they're probably not quite as good as we thought they were. Where Oxford yes. are always there and thereabouts. They, they were coming into it with, with a good run of form, unbeaten in six. Um, and like I say, had just held the best side in the league to win a nil-nil draw. With a COVID-hit squad, by the way. That wasn't the first-team squad they had out. So it was always going to be tough, and I just think that, you know, we are going to lose, we are going to draw games. This is this is a game that was always going to be tough, and a draw, at the end of the day, isn't the worst result in the world when we actually played okay. Yeah, I mean, here's my take on it. The result itself, I've got no problem with. The draw is not a disaster, it's not a calamity, it's absolutely fine. The manner of the result, yes, because it was a game we should have won. The second half performance, we don't concede that goal from, from Linda Gucci's mistake. We win the game. It's a different story. I've got no problem with drawing at home to Oxford. Now, some people might say that's me accepting lower standards and so on and so forth. That's fine. But the fact of the matter is, is that at this point in time, there is such a collective tension among certain sections of the fan base that every draw, every goal conceded, every game we don't win is a disaster. It's a calamity. It shows the club's mired in mediocrity, blah, blah, blah. I think you've got to look at it. You've got to take a wider perspective on this and you've got to say, look, this league is a grind. It's going to be a slog to between now and the end of the season. We are not going to win every game. We're going to lose games. We're going to have frustrating results. We've just got to accept that as part and parcel of trying to get out with this division. I don't think it's about accepting mediocrity or demanding better and so on and so forth. I think it's just the reality of League One football. We've been down here for long enough now to know this, that things rarely go as smoothly as you'd like them to. You've got to take the rough with the smooth at times. So a home draw at Oxford, not a disaster by any stretch of the imagination, as long as... And this is the most important thing for me. As long as we kick on now and we take we take advantage of the following two home games we've got, we beat the next two teams, and that means that we've had a decent run of results. And yesterday's results suddenly doesn't seem so disastrous. So it's all about context. You know, if we win on Tuesday, Saturday doesn't seem so bad. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's a, a desire 
and a restlessness to win every single game, which we all know won't happen. But on the same, at the same time, I think it's very important to not write off every draw, every defeat necessarily as a disaster. Because as I said, there were some positive signs there yesterday. Now, people might disagree with that, but I think we've just got to be try and keep a level head on this whole thing and not, not lose our heads every time we draw a game or every time we concede a goal. It's Johnson out every time we concede. And I think we've just got to kind of take a broader perspective and say, look, we know what the goal is, promotion. If we have to draw some games en route to that, we'll take that. But the goal is promotion. How we get there doesn't really make a difference. As long as we're promoted at the end of the season, how we get there doesn't really matter. So that that's yeah. that's my opinion. Yeah, on no, it, I would I totally agree. And I saw quite a lot after the game people saying that well, and this happens quite this isn't just after this particular game. Quite a lot of people think we should be walking this league. You know, we're Sunderland, we should we shouldn't be struggling to sort of climb to the top. And I think, well, we've been in this division four seasons and every single team who's been promoted out of this league has gone through runs a bad form They've drawn games they should have won. They've lost games they should have won or drawn. You know, every, look at it. Just I, t- I urge people who are listening to this, look at the league tables from each of those seasons because all of those teams have went up. Not one of them walked the division. It's not yeah. something that generally happens. And I, I put that down to just it being that we've got League One players like everybody else. All right, ours might be the better end of the scale. We might have better League One players than a lot of teams do. But the League One players, and for that reason, they're going to go through big spells of inconsistency, both of individually course. and collectively. And that's why they're playing in League One. They would be playing in the Championship of the Premier League if they were of a higher standard than that. And that's just the fact of it, you know. And and that means that results are occasionally not going to go how we want it. And I think you're bang on what you're saying is, I think that a broader perspective would just allow people to sort of see the bigger picture and see that, you know, it doesn't matter that we've drawn this game if we then go and win two of the next three. Or yeah. I'm, a, I'm just speaking generally, you know. Um, but that, that leads us on to a question actually we've been given by Michael Bowers, who said um, it's important, in his opinion, to get along in December with all the players we have injured. And um, in the next six games, we've got Morecambe at home, we've got Plymouth at home, Ipswich away, Doncaster away. Chef at home just before the end of the year and then just as we creep into the new year we've got Fleetwood at home. Um, in his opinion he thinks we need to beat Morecambe, Doncaster, Fleetwood and then get at least five points from the others. So we're talking about Morecambe, Doncaster, Fleetwood who are all down the bottom end of the table. Um, yeah. Morecambe is at home, Fleetwood's at home, Doncaster is away but they are struggling. So I would totally agree with that. Um, five points from the others. He's talking about Plymouth, Ipswich away and Chef at home. So you're on about three games there where nine are up for grabs. Would five be all right from that, would you say? I, 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 I actually, say so, yeah. I think I agree with Michael there. I think he's he's spot on. I think that would be fair. And I think as fans, we could probably look at the next six and go, right, that, here's our target. Let's make sure we don't sort of let our confidence slip too badly if, you know, we draw that one, but we might win, you know. Yeah, I think it's a good way to look at it. Do you agree with his assessment sort of where the points need to be shared? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that it's very important that we that we make here with this next swing of home games as well because, you know, there's, our home record this season has actually been quite decent. Um, I think we've only lost the one game at home this yeah, season. Charlton, I, think. I think that was Charlton, the, Charlton, yeah. the Charlton game. So, you know, the home form has been has been pretty good. Um, but yeah, I think Michael's absolutely spot on there. I think we've really got to be capitalising on, on, on the games we've got in front of our own fans. And yeah, I, I think they'd be... Also, as well, you know, given the injury list we've got, which 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 you have to, you can't get away from that. You know, we have, we are we are 
very very stretched resource wise um which can happen that can happen i've got no you know that's i'm not bemoaning that that's just a fact of any for any any team in any league anywhere in the world um it's going to demand i think you know resourcefulness on behalf of the manager rotating his players when necessary but i also think as well that the players and i keep coming back to the senior pros they've really got to be looking at these next fixtures and they've got to think look lads you know a lot of our teammates are on the treatment table at this moment in time we've got to build the momentum ourselves nobody's going to do it for us you know nobody's going to swing in and save us we are we've got who we've got in terms of players let's make sure that we really push on and we don't let our teammates down and we don't let the fans down so i think it's going to take um, a lot of leadership on behalf of Lee Johnson and behalf of the behalf of the players as well to make sure that we get through this December period with a good haul of points. Yeah, yeah, I think I think like I say, I, I would love to go into that in more detail, but I think Michael's bang on to be fair. Like that's Absolutely. probably a, 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 the most fair way of looking at it. Um, the, we've we've got a couple more topics I want to touch on before we shoot off because we've received a fair few questions about January and also. Um, one other thing we haven't talked about from the game, which is the whole Lee Johnson on the touchline scenario, um, arguing with fans, blah, blah, blah. Um, everyone who's listening, I'm sure, is aware of it, but if you want, um, there was an allegation from a fan on uh, BBC Newcastle after the game that he'd been in a bit of a bust-up with Lee Johnson. From listening to myself, the guy said um, that he hadn't been offensive towards Johnson, and Johnson turned around and gave him a two-finger salute. <laughs> Um, some of the reports from fans who were around that particular person reckon it was a lot more blue in the air, shall I say, than he made out to be. And yep. the video I've seen of Johnson, it doesn't appear like he flicks in the V. He sort of throws his hand up as a gesture, as if to say, oh, whatever sort of thing. I mean, I'll, I'll let people interpret that how they want to interpret that. But what was your sort of take on that whole thing? Like, And, and I mean, fans run, rushing down after this particular performance to give him stick, like... Yeah. What do you take on that? Because storm in a teacup, Gav. Absolute, absolute nothing story whatsoever. And I said on Twitter earlier today, if Peter Reid had done that, if Roy Keane had done that, if Sam Allardyce had done that, gone up to a fan and confronted him after the fan was giving him a mouthful, we'd have hailed him as a hero. We'd have said, "This is Keane's stadium. This is Reid's stadium. It's Allardyce's stadium. You mess with him, and you're going to get something in return." So it's a total non-story, Gav. To me, the guy was trying to go Johnson into a reaction, and then he thought, "Oh, I'll be really clever." I'll go home, I'll ring up Nick Barnes on the radio and I'll talk about it and I'll try and get Lee Johnson painted as this villain. It's a nothing story, Gav. It's 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 an embarrassment, to yeah. be perfectly honest with you. And you know, it seems to me that there are some fans out there who are taking the, the anti-Johnson thing to such an extreme. They're criticizing his height, they're criticizing his I mean, someone criticized his choice of court. You know, yeah, as, it, as, it, yeah. as if as if a manager's fashion choices you know influence how, how the, the, the team. The plays. comment I saw was more on how he, how much he'd spent on the court, but yeah, I mean it's one person on Twitter, but still, exactly, it's yeah. all, it's, it all it's, feeds into this narrative. It's really, silly, it? Gavin. It's it's you know at the end of the day, I said I said this on the Twitter space last night. You know that Lee Johnson is trying to do the best he can for this football club. He is trying to get this football club back to the championship, and we've got to draw a very clear dividing line, in my opinion, between football related criticism, which is fine, not a problem with that. Criticise his tactics, criticise his approach, criticise his team selections, fine. But let's not carry on with the personal jabs about his height or his fashion choices or any of that type of thing. It's petty. And to be honest with you, you know, I worry what this might be doing to Lee Johnson's morale, to be perfectly honest with you. I, you know, I, I, I mean, I think he's really enjoying managing the club largely, but every man's got a limit, don't they? And I just wonder whether or not, and I hope, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I hope the doomsday scenario, in my opinion, of him kind of throwing his hands up and saying, 
see you lads, I'm off. Someone else can pick this, can pick up the reins here. I'm out of here type of thing. I hope that doesn't happen because I think he's got a lot to offer this football club. But now it was a non-story, Gav. It was, it was, there was a vacuum after the game yesterday for people kind of scrambling around trying to find things to be critical about, and that happened to be the one. So total non-event yeah, as far was, as I'm concerned. I mean, there was, there was a, there's been another sort of common criticism of him is that he doesn't really do anything on the touchline. But I've seen a few people say that, and I heard it on the radio. Like I said, I've heard people talk about it on the radio quite often because I listen to the the phone-ins when I can, and um, I don't get it. I mean, every time I look at Lee Johnson, he's going wild at the assistant. Yeah, he's. I mean, he, if anything, he's too animated at times. He, he he contests absolutely everything with the fourth official. So, and he and he's been booked this season for doing so. So again, I think that's just another sort of non-story. Really, I don't get it. I think I just think you bang on what you said. We need to draw a line between what fair criticism and what's unfair criticism. Fair criticism yeah. is com- commenting on his on his style of play, his tactics, the way he manages the team. Things he might say after the game in the press, you know, all of that's fair game. But picking on him for his size, picking on him for what are really pathetic things, like we, that's not who we are as a fan base, and we aren't as a club. And we, I think that's, I think that's shoddy if I'm honest, like, and it needs to stop. But I don't think it will yeah. because that's just the way some people are, you know. Of course, and you know, like I said, I mean, yesterday, I, I, you know, I was looking at Lee Johnson, you know, and his arms were, he, he was like a human windmill at times. His arms were up, he was jumping about, he was protesting decisions, he was animated and. Again, you know, it's I, I just don't know what people want from a Sunderland manager. You know, it's like if you know if he if if a, if a Sunderland manager is reserved and composed, he's dour. You know, and if he's if he does what Lee Johnson does and he's animated and he's jumping about, he's confrontational and he's getting involved in spats with fans. I honestly don't know if if the, if this ideal template of a Sunderland manager exists somewhere. Well, please send him to the stadium of light and let's get him in the dugout because I don't think this perfect Sunderland manager exists. At the end of the day, Lee Johnson is the manager. He's been entrusted with the task of getting this club promoted. And from, from what I can see, he maintains the backing of Speakman and of Kirill Louis-Dreyfus. We've heard nothing to the contrary as of yet. And I think we've got to just give the guy the time and the space to try and do what he's doing. And the other thing as well, Gav, is that we are in a decent position in the league, a very good position in the league, I would say, actually. If we were mired in mid-table and genuinely going nowhere, then the anti-Johnson people might have more you know, kind of value in their argument. But we are within snapping distance of the automatic promotion places. The season is not over. Automatic promotion is very much on the cards. So, again, I I come back to this broader perspective thing. Taking in isolation yesterday might have been frustrating, but you take a step back, you look at the league table, and we are in a very good position. So, in my opinion, Lee Johnson deserves some time and some space and some patience to continue implementing his plan, trying to steer the club forward. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end it. I was going to ask you some other stuff, but I just think you've nailed it there. Like, I think you'd bang. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you're right. You're totally right. Like, if this perfect son of manager existed, then he'd be in the dugout. And I think the perfect manager is probably managing one of the biggest clubs in the world, isn't he? <laughs> you know, what we what we want is Jurgen Klopp or yeah. Pep Guardiola, and it's just like it's like it goes back to the thing I just said about us having League One players in League One and sort of. You can only expect so much from them because they're here for a reason. Well, Lee Johnson's only ever managed in the championship. That's the highest he's the highest standard exactly. he's managed. Sorry, he's managed at this level. But the highest standard he's managed at the championship. He's never got a team out of the championship. So, you know, when we're when we're shopping around for a manager, they're gonna be people with similar backgrounds, with similar sort of strengths and weaknesses. And I think we've just it, I'm not saying accept mediocrity, because that isn't true at all. I just don't believe that 
in our current position in sacking him that we'd be any better off because I just don't believe that the manager that people want is out there and would come to no. Sunderland in League One and is just going to take us from being this team who are one of the pack, which we are, we're one of the pack. I mean, even the best team in the league, Rotherham, are in the pack at the minute because yeah. they've had a couple of draws and whatever. So just where we are, we're it, we're one of the teams in the pack and we have half a season ahead of us and a January transfer window and lots of players to come back from being injured who are going to be influential because we signed Sirkin and Huggins to be influential in this team and they will be back in the next month, month and a half, hopefully. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot to look forward to and I think Michael Bowers got spot on in his question when he said that it was important to just get through December with the players we have got until we've got those injury players back because ultimately, like I say... Let's just speak hypothetically here. If we sack Lee Johnson today, whoever comes in is going to have the same squad to work with, with the same injury troubles and, and all the rest of it, and no real time to, to really stamp their own authority on on uh, on the squad. And to me, that just makes it a, a sort of moot argument, in my opinion. But I totally get why other people are frustrated. I get that. Oh, absolutely. I get that, you know, especially when we were in the championship and we got relegated under Peter Reid and we got relegated and then Mick McCarthy became manager and when Roy Keane was manager we walked the championship every time and there's an expectation that when Sunderland drop into those leagues that we do the same and I just think football's changed and it's not that easy anymore and it's really hard to come to terms with that for a lot of people and I think it's going to be hard for them to come to terms with that if, until we do it again and I just don't believe that's around the corner because like I said there are teams who've been promoted out of this league while we've been in it who haven't walked it and there's a good reason for that because the quality of the teams in this league, there's not a lot between them. I mean, if you think, just a final point here, if you think back to 2006 when Niall Quinn took over as chairman and Roy Keane arrived as, as manager, the phrase magic carpet ride was used. I'm yeah. sure you remember that. and we, we all do. And I think to myself, for the people who were wanting Roy Keane back now, you know, the magic carpet's probably not airworthy anymore. The game has changed. Football has evolved. Management has changed as well. And the idea that Roy Keane comes in you know, as, as a glorious hero's return type of thing. It's just it's just not realistically going to happen. And I think you've just got to let those those episodes of the club's past, you know, as brilliant as they were, you've got to let them move and you've, you've got to let them slide. And you've got to just keep on moving forward. And that's what we've got to do. And I honestly still believe that Lee Johnson could be the right manager for this football club. And until I see any evidence, i.e. a real downturn in results or some really bad performances and we end up dropping down the table, I'm going to stick with him personally. Yeah. Good place to end it, mate. Well, thanks for joining us. Really enjoyed the crack. Uh, we have got quite a lot going on this week. I imagine a lot of people listening to this have donated already to the Christmas fundraiser for the Southern Community Soup Kitchen. As I speak, we're on over 31 grand, which I haven't checked, but might be very close to what we what we managed to accrue last year by Christmas Eve. I mean, we are way out from Christmas Eve at the minute, so uh, we are going to smash that. That, that target from last year and we're going to go beyond it which is brilliant but what I will say to people is that it doesn't matter how, how much we have in the pot right now it's still not enough to do what we need to do with the community soup kitchen I've been there today with Andrea with my partner we've been shopping in Tesco's for instance we, we, we spent about a grand and a half just on tinned food just on perishables really which will sh- probably fill a couple of shelves in the in the food bank that they've got in the warehouse and it'll probably last a week and that's the scale of this operation like without the money that people are putting forward 
they wouldn't exist without our readers, listeners, without Sunderland fans, without fans of other clubs who've put their hand in their pocket. It wouldn't be possible because the way they operate is just different and they really help people and they really touch lives. And so what I'm saying to anybody listening to this, if you haven't donated already, whether it's a fiver or a tenner or if you can afford more, please just do your bit because it goes a long way. We've had people on Twitter coming to us, Phil, saying five pounds all I can give. I'm sorry I can't give more. And I think, well... If you really think about it, if you took £5 in Asda or Tesco's... You could stretch it a long way. You could. You could stretch it a long way for a family of four or a family of five, you could. So, you know, don't ever think that you can't contribute because you can. There are other ways to contribute, as we've um, said on the on the website and, and in podcasts and stuff in recent weeks. You'll have heard adverts playing in our, each of our podcasts for, for a long time now, and that's how we were able to put down such a big, substantial donation... Uh, of £13,000 which came solely from podcast advertising revenue so every single time the person listening to this right now plays an advert money goes into a pot and it accrues and we'll give every penny of that back to the, the kitchen every Christmas so even if you are skint even if you are one of those people who relies upon food banks and the, the soup kitchen and but you listen to our podcast just know that you're doing your bit even if you listen to an advert so and that's going to be something we continue going forward. One other thing to plug is, uh, by the weekend, we'll hopefully have completed a 24-hour Twitter space marathon. Uh, there will be some launch articles and tweets and stuff going out over the coming days, so look out for those. But what we're going to be doing is, as part of this fundraiser, we're going to be taking part in a 24-hour live Twitter space. So you've heard us, I'm sure, doing the ones after games and on Friday nights and on Monday nights for the Sun and Ladies podcast. I mean, you've, you'll have heard them you might know a little bit about what a twitter space is it's effectively a radio show but it's hosted on twitter and we're going to do that for 24 hours from 8 p.m on friday right the way past the the plymouth game on saturday until 8 p.m on saturday night um it's not just going to be two of us talking all the time um we have got guests coming on we've got branches coming on we've got um some fun and games we've even got a bit of karaoke planned if we get drunk enough um, we're going to be working hard right through from Friday 8pm to Saturday 8pm and the whole point of that is to just raise awareness about the soup kitchen, raise more money, plug it you know, and everybody can do their bit. We're going to want listeners coming on to talk about things, we're going to talk about the game like I say so there's going to be loads going on and the, the firmed up plans for what we've actually got planned hopefully with some ex-players and pundits and stuff thrown in. Um, will be available over the coming days, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, but yeah, I've rambled a lot there, Phil, so cheers for sitting and listening. Cheers for joining us, mate. Really no appreciate problem. it. Cheers, Gav. And uh, cheers, everyone, for listening. Make sure you listen to the adverts. Thanks. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.